Good morning. I want to add my welcome to that of Ryan's. My name is Shane Hatfield. I'm the RUF campus minister. Uh, that means that I am the, the campus pastor for the PCA and for Grace Stillwater at Oklahoma State. And uh, I get to worship with you guys regularly. I love it. I enjoy it. And this morning, I get the privilege of bringing God's Word to you. Ryan was at General Assembly last week. General Assembly is whenever all the PCA churches from the nation come together to worship and to do the business of the church. That means he was working, but he wasn't working on a sermon. So this week, I get to bring the sermon. Next week, Ryan is going to start a sermon series over Psalm chapter 1. This Sunday, as Doug said, we're going to look at uh, the story of Noah and the flood, which uh, might seem a little random, but I was already working on a story on the flood. And so when Ryan asked me to preach, I thought I'm going to go ahead and preach that. But I think as I've meditated on this week, I have been continually encouraged by God's kindness to us in this text and through all of Scripture, and I hope you're encouraged as well. It is a dark text. Uh, Unfortunately, because it's been centered around the nursery and children's stories, it's sort of lost some of that effect. Uh, So as we read this sort of uh, opening passage that introduces the story, I would encourage you just to think about how uh, dark and intense, intense this text actually is. So please stand for the reading of God's Word. We'll read. We'll start at Genesis 6, chapter 1. We will read verses 1 through 8. This is God's Word. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is God's Word. Maybe may be seated. Gracious Father in Heaven, we thank You for the rain that reminds us of the flood. We thank You for Your Word that brings us a flood of Your grace. And I pray right now as we look at the Word, as we look at this story of a flood, I pray that we'd be overwhelmed with two things. One, a sense of our sinfulness. And two, a greater sense of Your loving kindness and Your grace for us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This will surprise some of you and not surprise others. Sorry, I have a fly around me. But whenever I was in high school, I was very rebellious. Uh, I got in quite a bit of trouble. Uh, I had an affinity for uh, illegal, destructive, and unsafe behavior. My parents were very good parents. They loved me. They disciplined me whenever I was caught. They tried to teach me right from wrong. And I'm not just saying that because my mother's here today. I'm saying it because they really are, were good parents. But I, 
I can think of a time when they didn't use their normal discipline procedures. And this one time, I feel like really changed my heart more so than any. I had gone out and I had done more destructive behavior with my friends. I came home and my father caught me. When he caught me, I lied. When he told me that he knew, I lied again. Then we sat down in the living room to have a talk. And when my dad went into his normal kind of discipline speech, he did something different that he'd never done before. And I don't think this was a trick. I don't think this was a ploy. I think this was just very sincere, fatherly love. He started to cry. If you know my dad, you know that he doesn't cry. He started to cry. He began to talk about how much he loved me and how he cared for me and how he had always tried to provide good for me and how much it hurt him that I would lie to him and deceive him like that. As he began to cry and he was telling me these things, I thought about all the wonderful things my parents had done for me. I thought about how much they loved me, how they had provided for me, how they fed me a bottle the way Dale is feeding Graham right now, and how they really cared for me and nurtured me every day. And I was convicted by a sense of my sin. That how can I be so disrespectful to my parents who had loved me so much? So I confessed my sin, I apologized, and I really tried after that point to honor and respect my parents in a way that I had never done before. But it wasn't necessarily my father's discipline that changed my heart so much as it was his kindness. It was the fact that he would sit there and he would cry with me over my sin. Has anyone's kindness ever led you to repentance? Have you ever been confronted with your own sin, maybe towards your spouse, and yet they treated you so kindly and so gently that you were changed? Have you ever gotten angry at your kids and yelled at them, and then the next moment they come up to you and they want to give you a hug? You're just overwhelmed with the sense that, I don't deserve this, that you would hug me after I screamed at you. Children, have you ever been overwhelmed with the sense that you disobey your parents, you disrespect them, yet day after day after day they serve you? Have you ever been overwhelmed by God's loving kindness for you? That even though we forget about Him and we don't think about Him, we don't praise Him and honor Him as we should, He still day after day meets our needs and loves us. This morning, as we look at this text, the story of the flood, I want you to see how God has been infinitely kind to you day after day. And I hope that that kindness will lead you to move towards Him in love and towards others in love and kindness. We're going to look at three things in this text. We're going to look at God's uh, the cosmic corruption of sin, the cosmic justice of God, and the cosmic kindness of God. The first thing I want you to see in this text is that there is a cosmic corruption of sin. And the text really tries to make this explicit in three different places. In Genesis 1-4, through which is a very cryptic, and I'm not going to lie, just kind of a weird passage. All right? There's a lot we don't really understand about Genesis 1-4. through There's one thing that we do understand. It was a very violent time. People were violent. People were immoral. People were doing things that God had never imagined that they would do. And then in Genesis 11, it says, 
that the earth was corrupt in God's sight and it was filled with violence. Genesis 6.13 says that God told Noah that He had determined to destroy all flesh because of violence. How bad was it? Just look at Genesis 6.5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Man's heart was wicked. Now what does that mean? You've got to understand in terms of God what wickedness is. God is love. So everything that He does is loving. He moves towards people in love to serve them and care for them. So anything that is wicked and evil is something opposite of love. It is something selfish. It is something ingrown. It is something that looks at people and uses people and abuses people. So wickedness and evil is manifested in murder and violence. But not just that, it's manifested in us being wholly opposite to God. It's manifested in us being selfish and self-centered and using and abusing people for our own personal gain. How wicked and evil was man? Well, you only have to see three words in this text to get it. Every, only, and continually. Every thought of man was wicked all the time. That's all it was, was self-centered and self-focused. Now, Reformed theology, this is a classic text for what we call total depravity. Total depravity does not mean that we are all as bad as we could be. It doesn't mean that we're all Hitler, right? But what it means is, is that we're all thoroughly corrupted by sin. That our minds, our wills, and our emotions have all been infected with sin the way a body would get infected with E. coli if the E. coli got out. You probably don't know this, but you have E. coli in your stomach. that helps break down food. If that E. coli gets out, it gets into your bloodstream. And it spreads throughout your body. And as it spreads throughout your body, it corrupts everything. And all of your organs start to shut down and all of your tissues don't work properly. Well, when Adam ate from a tree and sin entered the world, that sin got into us. And it infected us. And it spreads through every part of us. And so without the renewing grace of the Holy Spirit, everything we do is totally opposite to God. It's all tainted by sin. All the time. And it didn't just corrupt us, it corrupted all of creation. Our sin affected the rocks and the trees and the plants and the animals. There's not just a personal corruption of sin, but there's a cosmic corruption of sin that's taking place all over creation. The reason why we have natural disasters is because of sin that we brought into the world. That's a dark picture, right? That's a serious, uh, deep, dark picture of the state of man and the state of the world. And so we have to ask ourselves, how does this apply to us today? Now, I don't think anyone would sit here and try to say that the world is not violent today. I think we all agree there's still a lot of violence on the earth. I think the danger for us is to look at this text and go, yeah, but that violence is out there. Those people are violent. People that live over there, yeah, they're bad, but not in here. And, but this text will not allow us to do that. This text says that we are part of the problem. That the problem is in here. The problem lies deep within each and every one of us in this room. I talked to a friend this week who is learning this lesson. She is married to an alcoholic. 
the alcoholic, uh, just went into rehab and started going to AA. She, because she loves her alcoholic husband, started going to a support group for wives of alcoholics or spouses of alcoholics. While she was there, she learned that she has a problem with control. That she wants to control everything. And she learned that her control was driving her husband to alcohol. And she said these very words to me on the phone this week. She said, I used to think that he was the biggest problem in our marriage. And now I know that I'm part of the problem too. She gets it. She gets it that sin is in her heart. And because sin is in her heart, that infects her family. This text looks at all of us and says, sin is in your heart. And you bring that into your relationships. You bring that into your marriage. You bring that into your parenting. You bring that into your room with your roommates. The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. And if anything is going to change us, it has to be something that changes us from the inside out. Um, these problems are not the same as murder, right? They're not as bad as murder, but they're still violence. It's sin of the same kind, maybe not to the same degree. So the text tells us that sin has corrupted the whole universe, including us. And then it tells us how God feels about that sin and what God does about that sin. And it shows us the cosmic justice of God. That's the second thing I want you to see. So everybody look at Genesis 6.6. It says, And the Lord regretted that He had made man on the earth, and it grieved Him to His heart. How bad was it? It was so bad that God regretted having made creation. Now you've got to see this in contrast with Genesis 1. What did God say after He made Genesis 1? He looked at everything and He said, it is very good. And now He looks at everybody and everything He says, this is so bad. It's very bad. I wish I hadn't done it. That's hard for us because we know that God is omniscient, but He's outside of time. And so to communicate the gravity of sin to us, he had to get inside of time and speak to us in a limited way. This does not mean that God makes mistakes, but this means that for us to understand the way God thinks, He has to communicate to us the way we can understand Him. And we can only understand Him linearly. linearly. Right. So God regretted having made us. And then it says that God was grieved to His heart. Now this phrase is, this, is used in two other places. It's used in Genesis 34 when Jacob is Jacob and his brothers are angry because their sister had been defiled. They were mad. And then it's used in 2 Samuel when David's son Absalom dies. And David weeps and he mourns. And so the phrase can be deep anger or it can be deep sadness. And I really think that at this point God felt both. He felt a deep anger and a deep sadness over what sin had done to His people. I think He feel, feels this, felt the same way that I feel when Emery falls out of her chair at the table, which happens like once a week. I tell her over and over again, please do not play at the dinner table. It is dangerous. Sit in your chair and eat. But she disobeys, and then she falls on the floor. And when she falls on the floor and she hits her head and I see her crying, I am overwhelmed with two emotions at the same time. One, I'm so mad that she did it again. And two, I'm so sad that she's crying and she's hurt. That's what God feels when He sees our sin. That's what God felt at this point. This overwhelming sense of why. And why? 
So what did God do? God did something that His justice and His holiness demanded. He brought cosmic justice in the form of a flood. He caused it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. And it flooded the entire earth. He wiped out all of creation except for Noah and his family. We're going to talk about them in a little bit. He wiped it all out. He destroyed it all. Again, think back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, God created everything. And now, in Genesis 6, what is He doing? He's decreating everything. If we're honest, I think we have to say that this is, this is hard. This is offensive. How could God, on the one hand, condemn us for being violent, and on the other hand, use violence to punish us? You have to understand the nature and character of God. God is 100% righteous. He has never done a wrong thing. And He is 100% holy. He hates sin. He hates it. And so He's got to punish sin. He must punish him, sin. His holiness and His character demand it. Therefore, the flood is not unjust. And we know this. We know that sin has to be punished. We get it too. How many times have you ever watched a movie or read a book where the bad guy won in the end? Think about it. You don't see it very often, but every now and then, there's a book or a movie that comes out and the bad guy gets away. How do you feel? Mad. Angry. I watched Star Wars Episode 3 this week, Revenge of the Sith. How does it end? It ends with Darth Vader and Darth Sidious ruling over the Republic, staring at the Death Star in victory with the Jedi Knights defeated and scattered. And I was so mad. And that was just a silly movie. If I was that mad, me finite sinful creature at the end of a movie that's not even real, how much more angry must the Lord of the universe be at sin? He must be infinitely more angry. And there is infinite, it's illogical to think that He must punish sin. So the flood shows us how God feels about the cosmic corruption of sin and how God has to act towards sin. But that's not all that it shows us. It also shows us God's cosmic kindness. And it shows us that in the person of Noah and the way God relates to Noah. The text continually contrasts Noah with all of creation. It says that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It says that Noah was blameless and righteous. I'm sorry, I'm going to move this because it bothers me. And God told Noah, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Noah found favor with God. Now what that does not mean is that Noah was sinless. It does not mean that Noah was sinless. In fact, after Noah gets out of the ark, he offers a sacrifice to God. And God is making a covenant with him. And God says, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now who was left on the earth? Noah and his family, the most righteous man around, he looked at him and said, this is the best I got, and he's still sinful. And then after the flood, Noah gets drunk, and his son Ham dishonors him, so we see more sin there. So Noah couldn't have been righteous, he couldn't have been righteous because of his own deeds. This does not mean he was sinless. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Noah was righteous because he had 
faith in the promises of God. That he knew in some way that there was a creator and, and that, that creator spoke to him, that creator communicated with him, and he believed that creator. He had faith. And because he had faith, he lived a life that was appropriate to that faith. He lived a life of wholeness and righteousness. So God makes this covenant with Noah. He says, I'm going to destroy everything else on earth, but I'm not going to destroy you and your family and some animals. So I want you to build this gigantic boat called the ark. And when I tell you to, I want you to take your family to the ark and a certain amount of animals in the ark. Because I'm not going to destroy all of creation because you are righteous. So the time comes, he tells Noah and his family, go to the ark, they load up, the flood comes and wipes out everything. And God slammed the door of the ark. God shut it. What was God doing? Why was he acting this way? God was cutting the tree back to the stump. If you know anything about agriculture, you know that sometimes you've got to cut the tree back to the stump. One of the books I read about this passage had a pastor and a theologian said that when he was in Orlando, there was a severe freeze, and the severe freeze destroyed the entire peach crop. But they could save the peach trees. The only way they could save the peach trees was to cut the tree back to the stump. If they cut the tree back to the stump, then that would annihilate everything and it would give the peach tree a chance to grow and to have new life. In the flood, God cut the tree back to the stump. He cut it back to one man who believed in Him, who had faith in Him, and it was righteous. And from that one man sprung forth hope and promise for the rest of creation. Don't you see how gracious God is and how kind He is? If there's even only one righteous person, God is gracious and kind. It kind of reminds me before He described, before He destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, how, uh, who was it? Abraham kept saying, what if there's 50 righteous people? What if there's 10 righteous people? They kept going down and God said, I won't destroy it, I won't destroy it. Well, here, God found one righteous person and He didn't annihilate everything. He, he was loving to him. He was kind to him. He was gracious to him. So we see the kindness of God in the way He spared Noah and his family. We also see the kindness of God in the covenant that He made with Noah. If you look at, I believe it's 8, you got your Bible, you can turn to Genesis 8, 21 and 22. Uh, Noah makes a sacrifice after the flood. And God says this, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in His heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. In, his, in this covenant with Noah, what God is saying is, I am committed to creation. I am committed to this world, even though it's sinful and broken, I'm committed to it. And I'm going to uphold it, and I'm going to sustain it. The, the rain that we just heard, we can sit here and believe in faith there's not going to be a flood that's going to destroy us all because God has promised not to do that. God is not going to annihilate His creation again. And so every day that we live on this earth is a testimony to God's kindness to us. The fact that we have orderly seasons. The fact that we have rain. The fact that we have uh, gifts of intelligence, technology, transportation, clothing. All those things 
come from God's goodness and graciousness to us. Theologians call this the covenant of common grace. It's a covenant that God made with all of creation universally. Now, why would God make this covenant with all of creation? It's because He also made a covenant of redemption. And He had to have a place for that redemption to take place, right? There had to be a creation so God could redeem people. The, the flood was just one step in the process of God redeeming us from sin and misery on this earth. And so every day is a testimony of God's kindness to us that He is moving us closer and closer towards redeeming us from sin and bringing Jesus back to cleanse all things. So we see God's kindness in the way He relates to Noah. We see God's kindness in the covenant. And we see God's kindness in the sign that He gives Noah. Look at Genesis 9.12. God says, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between Me and you and every living creature that is within you. For all future generations, I have set My bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, rainbows may or may not exist, have existed before the flood. But if they did, God definitely gave rainbows a new meaning at this point. He's saying a rainbow points not just to rain, but to my promise of kindness to you. I'm promising that I'm never going to get again going to execute my wrath on this earth in this way. I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to be gracious to you. The, the rainbow, the Hebrew of this text, does not actually use the term rainbow. It uses the term bow. And so another way to think about this sign is of a bow and arrow. Or a weapon of war. So what God is saying is, instead of this rainbow being a symbol of judgment, now it's a symbol of grace. Now it's a symbol of kindness. He's not going to use it against us anymore. And so, from these three things, from the kindness that He shows Noah, to the kindness of the covenant, to the kindness of the rainbow, this shows us that God is no longer going to point His wrath at creation. He's going to point it at Himself. Think about that. Which way does the bow point? The bow points up. God is saying that judgment is going to come on me. He's promising kindness to us. And when you realize that, when you see that, that kindness will change you and it will change your relationship. I read a book recently that reminded me of this. It's called Severe Mercy. It's a sad one, but I highly recommend it. And in that book, it tells the spiritual journey of a couple. They were non-Christians. And when they were non-Christians, they made a covenant together that there was going to be a shining barrier that protected their love. And nothing would penetrate that barrier. Well, over time, they became Christians. And something penetrated that barrier. Two things actually penetrated that barrier. One was God. God got in that barrier. Two was the husband had an emotional affair. When the husband had the emotional affair, instead of pulling away, the wife knew that God had been infinitely kind to her. And she moved towards her husband in love. And she continued to serve him and love him and pursue him with kindness every day. And years later, the husband looked back on that and said, her kindness towards me is what saved our marriage and saved my soul. And she only did that because she knew that God had been infinitely kind to her. 
That's what changes a relationship. That's what changes your heart. It's seeing the kindness that God has given to you day after day after day. There's still a problem, right? The problem is this. If we're still sinful, thinking now, if we're still sinful, and God is still just, and God has hung His bow in the clouds and promised not to judge us in that way anymore, then how can God be just? How can God be just? And the answer is this. The bow is not just a sign of God's common grace. The bow is also a sign of God's special grace that He gives us in Jesus Christ. You see, when you look at the story of Noah and the flood, you see that Jesus is the true and greater Noah. Noah was righteous because he had faith. Jesus was righteous in and of Himself. Noah obeyed God about the ark. Jesus obeyed God about the cross and every single thing in His life. Noah and his family were saved by the ark. Jesus and his family are saved by the ark of his body. When Noah got off the ark, he offered a sacrifice to God. Jesus is the sacrifice to God that is a pleasing aroma for you and I. Noah died. Jesus still lives, ruling and reigning over all creation as a sign of God's kindness and goodness towards us. God plunged His Son under the flood of His wrath so that we might experience a flood of His grace. And it's only to the degree that you see that God has been gracious to you in Jesus Christ that you will be gracious to your spouse and to your neighbor and to your kids and to your friends, to everybody around you. That's the only thing that will drive out the violence in this world. It's not violence. More violence isn't the answer. It's the loving kindness of God to us in Jesus Christ. The Bible does say that judgment is still coming. That one day King Jesus will come back to judge the earth, but it's not with the flood. It's with Himself. And the good news for us is this, that the door of the ark is still open. Jesus is still open to us to move towards Him in love and embrace Him and find refuge in Him. And there is a, there's enough room on that boat for all of us. There's enough room on that boat for the greatest sinner in this room and the greatest sinner out there, the greatest sinner right here. There is enough room on the ark for a multitude of sinners. See that as His kindness and move towards Him. 